What are the two most important things my Zen teacher ever told me? Well, these are the two that stick out to me and the two that I think shape how I think about Dharma, how I structure um, these pointings. I've talked about both of these at some point in the, in the past in various videos and conversations, I'm sure, in different ways, but I just thought it'd be nice to put them in one place and kind of unpack the, the implications of both of these. So the first one is pretty simple. It's a statement I heard him make in a Taisho. And as with a lot of his Taishos or lectures, it was very poignant, powerful, and the transmission goes far beyond that moment when he spoke it, as it does in the way this is integrated in uh, myself and the way I uh, work with people. And it was simply this. He said, this whole thing we talk about, this, the Dharma, this, this business of enlightenment, now I'm paraphrasing somewhat, but the gist of it is there. He said, uh, this whole thing really ends up being about living out of the innermost promptings of your tender and loving heart. But, and this is the important part, he said, without awakening, without insight, without Ken show, you'll think you're living out of the innermost promptings of your tender and loving heart, but you'll be living out of the outermost promptings of your deluded ego. And I find this to be so powerful and so important in so many ways, in so many areas of practice, and in so many um, confirmations of the psyche that present themselves in our lives. So in the simplest way of speaking, uh, you can really apply this to um, much of what we do and then pride ourselves on when we're really in our head, when we're really mind-identified. That includes ideologies, uh, thinking in terms of the end will justify the means, etc. So many people in history have truly believed they were doing good, doing important work, and even helping people. They may have even believed that helping people was the primary goal, and yet they were wreaking havoc. They were causing a lot of harm. We can all think of examples of these uh, historically, of course, historical leaders and so forth. Now those are kind of extreme examples, but they're also in some sense regular human beings who just had the right setup. They were charismatic, they had uh, powerful leadership qualities, and they had massive emotional repression. That's a setup for badness, right? But we do this in microcosmic ways in our own lives, where we're sure that the way we're treating another person or uh, thinking about another person or a group or a situation, um, we think we're certainly right about that. Our view is right. The view we hold is right, and they're definitely wrong. Yeah. And we believe that we're doing this for a good reason, to help people, to help humanity, because it's right. Well, how many times do we wake up from that at some point, through a paradigm shift or through awakening, and only in retrospect do we realize how fixated we were, how wrong we were, and how polarizing we were being and acting, yeah? This is what he was talking about. That to act out of your uh, tender and loving heart 
You have to be completely in touch with your tender and loving heart. You have to be porous. You have to be open to your own suffering and you have to be open to the suffering of the world. And as I often say, the first step of realization is acknowledging your own suffering, actually seeing it. If you don't see your own suffering, you're repressing it. And if you're repressing it, you're probably projecting something outward. You're um, acting out of a, a space that is unseen, unexamined. And that has a lot of, con it can have a lot of consequences, but it always has some consequences. So this is what he was getting at. And uh, without going into great depths or detail, I would just say, if you pride yourself on being a good person, kind person, doing the right thing, especially if you have ideologies, belief systems that are strong, and you feel like you really have to defend those and so forth, that's great. But if you're listening to this, you are probably interested in awakening to some degree. So you have to answer that call. You have to answer that call. And it's going to take you past your identities, which takes you past your beliefs. You have to go there. It's not comfortable, it's scary. But if you really care about compassion, if you really care about helping, if you really care about ending suffering, you have to go into the unknown, completely into the unknown. That's awakening, that's insight. So that's what he was referring to. And once you have that first shift, you see that you're compelled to keep going. You can't turn back. It has to be uh, lived. The unbinding has to continue. So that's the uh, first of two things I heard my Zen teachers say that were incredibly powerful, poignant, true, and have shaped so much of how I interact with people uh, around this topic. The second one is a story, and it was just a really good story. It was funny, but it was also poignant. Also showed his depth of dedication to uh, awakening, to spirituality, to truth. And uh, it was when he was giving a series of lectures on the 10 ox herding pictures over, I don't know how long, he was giving a couple of week or a couple of day during a, a session or something like that. But at one point, uh, he recorded one of the ox herding pictures where he gave the talk or the Taisho. And the senior students um, thought they were recording it, but they weren't. They missed the recording. And uh, later on, when they realized what had happened, they were talking about it. And um, he, over he happened to overhear them. But they, what they were saying about it was kind of funny. One of the students was saying to the other one, well, it doesn't matter. I'll never get there anyway, because it was like the ninth Oxfording picture or something. And he overheard this. And so he actually brought it up in a, another talk or another Taisho. And um, while I think he thought it was kind of funny in one sense, he also really wanted to stress to everyone who was listening that um, it's a mistake. He, he said, essentially, if you can even sense something in this, even if you don't know what we're talking about here, even if it doesn't really click or the insight isn't a lived insight for you, but you sense there's something there, you can attain that. You can realize that. And he really stressed this, and I could feel the power and passion behind what he was saying, but not just passion, the fact that he not only believed it, he lived it. So his dedication, the power of his dedication to the Dharma um, and his trust in it, um, and his ability to transmit that, that powerful uh, trust in the Dharma came through loud and clear. And that, if there's a principle that came from my teacher or uh, a moment of interaction with him that drives a lot of what I do, that's it. 
That's it. I, I don't just believe it. I see it. I see it all the time now. Um, and if someone comes to me and says, well, I, you know, I can't wake up or I don't think I can wake up or they have this mass of doubt, um, I have good news. But you have to let go of those paradigms of yourself of one who can't wake up. You have to let go of those identity structures. Yeah, they're more comfortable than you realize. Um, but I've never had anything. I've never seen anyone or anything or had any conversation that's convinced me of the contrary that anyone can wake up if they want to, if they're interested in it and they're willing to uh, do what it takes. Turn toward that call. It's there for you. So those are the two things that often stick out as the most important or uh, have most shaped what I do. I thought I would share and see um, how they resonate with you. Thank you.